It's a very simple answer. I will never again invest anywhere that is a tourism only based type of investment. And that's what Costa Rica was. Panama is not. Tourism ranks number five or number six on the list of things that drive the economy. So that really comes to exit strategies, vacation rentals for the most part. That was what we were investing in and buying in. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Edie Brooks. Today, we are talking about investing internationally. We're talking about agriculture in Panama. We get into a few of the different strategies that she and her folks, her clients, her partners, developers she works with use to grow products in Panama and sell them off and how they pick them, how they grow them, all that great stuff, how the return is generated. We talk about an experience that she had that sparked her to get into Panama rather than another country that she was investing in prior to the Great Recession. We talk about some important lessons, the critical lessons that she learned from her experience investing in another country pre-Great Recession and then through the Great Recession and, and how that went and a critical lesson that we can all learn from her experience there. Great lessons today. I think inter investing internationally in agriculture is a very interesting opportunity that a lot of people are not aware of. If you just listen to kind of the mainstream financial news and guidance, you're never going to hear about this. You're never going to hear that this is an option and uh, just, you know, something to consider. If it's right for you, then go ahead and dig into it. If you do enjoy the show, I ask that you take a quick second, go to your favorite podcatcher, look up the Passive Wealth Strategy Show hit the subscribe button so that you'll get information like this every time we bring it to you straight to your phone or device, and you can join us on future passive real estate investing discussions. If you do enjoy this show and you're an Apple user, please take a quick second, go to the Apple Podcasts app. Please give us a rating and review five stars if you enjoy the show. It's very much appreciated and it helps other people learn about the show. It helps me feel great and uh, just helps me see that folks are out there enjoying the content, learning something and building passive wealth streams. That's what we're all about here. If you're new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. Love learning new things. I love doing things internationally and this blends both of those. Without any further ado, here we go with Evie Brooks. Evie, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk with you. We're going to talk about overseas agriculture investing in Panama. It's pretty cool. And we, you know, we've talked about this business model a little bit in the past, but you have a, a unique angle on it we're going to get into. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us a bit about what you do, where you've come from, how you got into this business and all of that? Absolutely. I had not planned on being in a real estate industry at all. When I was going to college, I was in criminology and I know I'm going wow. to law school and I did not go down that path because I got pregnant my last semester of school, unexpectedly did not intend to go down that path. And I was very sick for six months and couldn't even think about sitting up, much less going to school. So I had a friend in my third trimester that said, hey, I've got a job. You can go get maternity benefits. <laughs> and being in my third trimester, that was kind of appealing. So I started in this job, which was in the real estate industry. And that's how I ended up in the real estate industry. And I've been in it ever since. Um, I stayed in corporate America for four years. I was in asset management and property management and commercial real estate 
four years into it, I realized I was sitting on the wrong side of the desk. Everybody on the other side was making a lot more money than I was. All the contractors and subcontractors that I worked with and the, you know, the real estate investors. So I decided to, to leave that corporate mentality and went out on my own. And I have been doing that ever since. So I started investing, started with single family homes in my backyard. And then I spread out and started doing multifamily. And then I started doing multi-state. And then I spread all over the United States. And one thing led to the other. And then I started mentoring other people because people were like, oh, I want to do that. Can you teach me how? And so I started just mentoring people for free to begin with. And then I thought, you know what? I can be charging people to do this. And so I started charging to do mentoring. Had a small little group of, you know, like doctors and, and statisticians and white collar professionals that I was mentoring. And then in 2003, I had a business associate friend of mine that contacted me and said, hey, I'm teaching with the Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki real estate organization. Y'all ought to come over and teach with us. And I didn't think I wanted to do it. I went to one weekend seminar and I was like, man, I can do that. And so I started teaching with the Rich Dad organization until 2014. I left in June of 2014. And one of my assignments was Costa Rica. And I started in Costa Rica in the early 2000s with the Rich Dad organization, teaching about investing internationally, diversifying your portfolio, becoming an expat, having a plan B location, maybe just a retirement home, a vacation home, a second home. Many people wanted to just become true expats. And so we started in Costa Rica. And that's when I got started in the international. And 2008 hit. And when 2008 hit, Costa Rica got crushed, just flat crushed. And every large development that was going on at the time, I had a 750 acre master plan community. And we lost our funding. We had already put $13 million into it. We had a $40 million line of credit. And not only us, but there was a, a multitude of other projects within 15 to 30 miles of us that all shut down within 90 days. We held on and held on and held on and held on. Kind of like going down with the Titanic, you know, <laughs> staying on the ship, <laughs> rearranging the furniture. Well, in 2012, I finally gave up the ghost and sold out for pennies on the dollar to three Costa Rican attorney investors that was in that project and left and went across the border to Panama because Panama just continued to clip right through that whole 2008 thing. They had a little bit of a pullback in 2009. Their GDP dropped to 4%. And then in 2010 and beyond, it started to go back up with an average of about 6%, a little bit over 6% GDP, all the way up until coronavirus. And so there's a lot of reasons why Panama has experienced that. But, you know, right out of the gate, most people know it's the Panama Canal. So that's kind of in a nutshell, a little bit on the background. Awesome. Very cool. And in the uh, Panamanian, you know, agriculture business that you're in, what are you farming? I mean, there are so many products out there that can be grown. What are you farming and how do you kind of pick those things from, I'm sure there's you know numerous things that can be grown in that climate? Well, the company that I work with is a very large international company and we work with multiple different companies, but my favorite is a, a company that has farms all over the world. Peru is their largest. They have well over a hundred thousand hectares in Peru. And they have, you know, Mexican operations, they have Costa Rican operations, of course, Panama. They actually started purchasing land there about 14 years ago when it, land was very, very inexpensive. Now it's gone through the roof because people have realized there's a huge opportunity there. You can put anything in the ground and it's going to grow. And most of the land is, has not had chemicals and pesticides and herbicides and all those types of things utilized in this market. So um, it's easy to get a USDA 
organic certification. Nice. And so this company came in and just started buying massive amounts of land and putting land under option contracts and that type of thing, knowing that they would expand in a big way here. And so they typically would do a co-op in the different countries. And a co-op, for people that don't know the agricultural industry, is where a middleman or a broker, if you will, will go into an area where there's a lot of little farmers and they don't really have the the wherewithal or the know-how, the marketing skills to go out and, and sell to the international companies across the sea, across the, the borders and be able to scale their business. And so a company like the one that we work with, brokers all around the world, Germany, Asia, you know, all over Europe, everywhere. So they go into a group of you know, hundreds of, of small time farmers and collectively says, okay, you grow, we'll buy from you. And then they turn around and then sell to the end consuming markets like the Costco's and the HEB's and the Whole Foods and those types of places worldwide. And so when they came into Panama, there were not hundreds of small farmers. There were not farmers to be able to create these co-ops with. And so they had to go in and buy the land and start creating the farms themselves and they realized that this would go a whole lot faster if they did a reverse co-op, um, turn around and sell the land to individuals like myself that wanted small one hectare parcels, two hectares, 10 hectares, whatever. But they didn't want to farm the land. They don't know anything about farming. They don't have the equipment. They don't have the machinery. They're not there. But they want to tap into, number one, arable land. And number two, the food production industry which is going to continue to be in demand forever and more and more so as we move along because arable land is becoming very limited and very coveted. So that's what they did is they went in and started just buying up all this land and now they're turning around and they're selling the land with the farm management contracts that will be in place for 30 years. I'm guaranteed for 10 years on the farm management. And after 10 years, I can choose not to continue with the same farm management if I don't want to, but why would I why would I not want to? I don't want to go farm the land myself. And I want to know somebody that's doing it really knows what they're doing. This is a large worldwide organization. So that's kind of the concept behind the reverse co-op. And so as far as the types of projects and products that we have, there's there's multitude of different projects. Some of them don't have land that go with them. Some of them do. So you have, let's start with the land, what we call perm crops, permanent crops, long-term crops, crops that when you plant them in the ground, they're going to be producing the same thing for years to come, like lime trees, avocado trees, mango trees, uh, dragon fruit, passion fruit, uh, you know, that type of stuff. So that's what we call a permanent crop, because once they start growing, those trees will produce for 50, 60, 70 years. OK, so long after we're not going to be here, um, those trees will still be producing. Um, so that is called a permanent crop. And with that, let's say you wanted to buy one hectare. That's two point four seven acres. And that comes with the land, with the irrigation system, with the trees, with the farm management program already in place. And typically you're going to be looking at anywhere from $45,000 to $50,000 for 2.47 acres or one hectare. Okay. And that's with all the trees and, and everything, the, the management, the farming, everything. Okay. So you have two different contracts. You have one contract for the land, which you're purchasing the land. You get a titled piece of property and then you have a second contract that will be for the farm management agreement for the period of time that it takes to get the, the, the fruit or the trees growing and harvesting, which is typically about four years for a perm crop tree. Okay. Some of them three years, some of them four years. Now on the flip side of that, you have what we call rotational crops that are also in the fields. 
and, and you get land with those, but those would be things like pineapples, bananas, plantains, things like that, that are only going to turn one or two, maybe three rotations of production before they have to be tilled up and started all over again. Okay. So that's got a little bit more flexibility because you're not stuck with a lime for the next 60 years. You know, you can go from pineapples to bananas, to plantains, to watermelons, to whatever. Okay. All right. So that's the second type. Now the third type is what we call hydroponics. Hydroponics are inside a greenhouse. And um, the greenhouse, when you invest in this, you actually own a portion of the greenhouse, a prorated portion, kind of like a fractional ownership, depending on if you want you know, to make a small investment or you can buy the entire greenhouse. And those are what we call rotational crops as well. You will typically get two to three different rotations of, of harvest per year. So it only takes about 24 months to start receiving your payout, first payout, and then from there on. And you're paid out once a year, every year, based on the previous year. So with the greenhouse, you have the ability to constantly be changing. You could go from strawberries, this rotation, which let's say 15 to 18 weeks, and move into melons for the next rotation because melons happen to be bringing in more money right now than strawberries. Okay, so you can go from melons to cucumbers to peppers to berries to, you know, all kinds of tomatoes, all kinds of different things in the hydroponics. And you've got pros and cons with both of them. And I could sit here and I'm, I'm not going to candy coat or tell you anything because this is no different than the stock market. You never know what's going to be the best producer, what's going to produce the, the you know, the, the greatest without problems. You know, if you've got crops outside, then you've got the elements. If you've got, you know, the, the greenhouse on the inside, you're not getting the land. You're only getting the basically the business operation of this and, and the, the greenhouse portion of your ownership. So there's pros and cons. And I have people that come in and say, you know what, I just want the business operation side of it. I don't want to have to worry about land. And other people are like, oh, I want the land to leave as a legacy investment for my children and my grandchildren or whatever. So it depends on the individual person and what they're looking for. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So one of the things I you know always think about in uh, these investments, right, is you're you know, talking about all these different options about what you can decide to, to grow. Um, for the passive investor or the person who wants to invest and keep it as passive as possible and have leverage the expertise of experts in making these decisions, are there you know advisors who can say, well, we think you know melons are going to be the next thing, or we think you know you might want to go some other crop, or you know how active is, does somebody need to be in this decision making in deciding what to grow? Well, the company has is massive. They have hundreds of employees and they have the, the brightest and best minds in the agricultural industry from around the world. Our primary agricultural engineers come from Israel. Um, now, our owners are from Panama and their family and their parents and their grandparents have been in the agricultural industry in Panama for generations. So um, you've got a combination of, you know, just the best and brightest minds from around the world. And so, yes, they bring in some of the best expertise that you can possibly get. And of course, they're constantly looking at the statistics and what's in demand. But the interesting thing is what we produce in Panama right now stays in Panama because 85% of the food required in Panama has to be imported. Hmm. Now, they're projecting based on the growth of the farming industry in Panama and the growth of this particular company being so massive that within seven to eight years, they're going to have enough food to provide both Panama and start exporting internationally. But right now, there's no need in Panama that we can possibly even begin to fulfill. 
Interesting. Cool. So you mentioned uh, closer to the beginning of the interview about the experience of investing in, in Costa Rica and that you know market falling apart due to the Great Recession and and all of that. And you know now investing in in Panama, I'm sure or I don't doubt that the topic of risk mitigation has crossed your mind in you know decision to get into Panama rather than anywhere else. Why do you invest in Panama and how have you mitigated any of those risks that you know you learned the hard way in, in 2008 in, in Costa Rica? It's a very simple answer. I will never again invest anywhere that is a tourism-only based type of investment. And that's what Costa Rica was. Panama is not. Tourism ranks number five or number six on the list of things that drive the economy. So that really comes to exit strategies, vacation rentals. For the most part, that was what we were investing in and buying. And for people that were looking for a second home, a vacation home, a retirement home, or to become an expat, most of them were looking at, you know, three years to five years down the road. So what you do in the interim, you use it for vacation rental. Well, in 2008, what happened to the whole tourism market? It collapsed just like it did in COVID. So that is the reason that I crossed that border and went to Panama because there's so many things that drives that. For example, the Panama Canal. And that's what drives the whole economy in Panama. From the Panama Canal, everything kind of, you know, it's a filter down type of a, you know, a, a concept. So you've got everything that's needed there because of the demand for, for all of the shipping. And in June of 2016, the Panama Canal was expanded so super tankers could come through. And prior to that, you could only send a ship through with 5,000 containers. Now, 14,000 container ships can go through there because of the expansion. But what we do have is we have also in Panama that's just opened in the last couple of years is the Cobra copper mines. And it's projected that the copper mines are actually going to be bringing in more revenue to the country of Panama for the next 30 to 40 years than the Panama Canal. Hmm. So between the two of these and then the country being a multinational company country, the government has created this country to attract multinational companies from around the world. And so they come in because of the benefits, the tax benefits, the perks, the incentives that they get from all over the place. And just to name a few that you would recognize, IBM, um, uh, Estee Lauder, Exxon, Bear, Granger, John Deere. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Uh, Under Armour. Many companies have come into Panama because of the perks that they get to bring their businesses there. And so when they do, they have to bring employees from all around the world and then the, their families and now the school systems are being, you know, expanded. And of course the need for housing. And I mean, it just, it's a trickle down kind of a concept. So now I'm able to look at any type of investment that I get in instead of saying, okay, this is for a vacation rental. I'm able to say, okay, can we use this for corporate housing? Can we use this for a rental program? Like some of the buildings that we get into, they have hotel license. And so if I'm doing Airbnb and that doesn't pan out, then I can turn around and hand it to the hotel program. If that doesn't turn out, the way I want it to, I can turn around and hand it to the corporate housing for the many, many multinational companies that's coming in. And if that doesn't work out, I'm right across the street from the brand new Johns Hopkins Hospital, affiliated hospital in Panama. So now we've got medical staff that needs places to live. And it goes on and on. So I'm constantly looking for plan A, plan B, plan C. Many times I'm looking for plan D, and we may have even more than that. So that you've got multiple exit strategies in place, and you're not just stuck with, uh-oh, it's 2008 and we don't have anybody to come rent our properties because the tourism business has completely dried up. So that's why. And it's a very easy answer. Mm, 
Nice. I appreciate that. So uh, you mentioned a bit earlier about the amount of time it takes for some of these uh, different farming strategies to begin generating revenue. And um, I'd like to flesh that out a little more and learn about what do you know returns typically look like, a return profile, how long does it take to generate? Is it, you know, in the multifamily space, right? We're doing in the past years, the strategy has largely been value add where you buy it, add value by raising the NOI and generate a lot of your return on the back end by selling the property for a higher value later. Exactly. Is it like that with these uh, with these products or is it more well, of a cash flow? Or you're, you Actually, it's going to be more of a internal rate of return that we're looking at, an IRR versus a um, ROI. Um, because you have to take, you know, an, an IR, people say, well, what is that and how is it calculated? You need a, you need a special computer to be able to do IRR oh, yeah. because it takes you know, the time value of, of, of money, it takes into consideration the length of time that you're not getting paid. It takes into consideration the, the appreciation on the land. I mean, so there's a lot of things that's going in there, but the IRR on these projects over the duration of time for the contracts run anywhere from 12, 13% up to 19%. So it's pretty strong. It's just that you have to know going into these, you're going to either be waiting two years, three years, or four years, depending on the type of product that you get into, whether it's, you know, dragon fruit, passion fruit, you know, watermelons, whatever. It's um, it's going to be two years, three years, or four years until you can anticipate the first, the first return. Now, another thing is just like the stock market, just like anything else, if anybody guarantees you anything, you need to turn around and run. We don't have control over the weather. We don't have control over... Uh, you know, the floods and the rains and the winds. Now, we don't have natural disasters per se in Panama. You don't have the hurricanes and the tornadoes and the tsunamis and all those types of things. Um, but you do have high winds and you do have torrential downpours and rains. And so, you know, sometimes you're going to have, you know, great years where your production is way higher than what you anticipated. And then you're going to have years that it's terrible. But then overall, the IRR is going to pretty much pan out to be over that period of time, you know, uh, a set structure when you look at it over the period of time. But people can't look at, oh, I'm in my seventh year and I was supposed to get 18 and a half percent this year and I only got 12 because last year you may have gotten 24 percent when you were only supposed to get 10. So and it does fluctuate like that. And, and you are dealing with Mother Nature. And so um, of course, the, the uh, hydroponics is a lot more controlled. So that's another reason that people really like the hydroponics because it's in a greenhouse and it's much more in a controlled environment. I'm always going to be a dirt girl. I am from Georgia <laughs> and I want that land. That land to me is going to be far more valuable than the fact that I'm not going to get, you know, payout for an extra year or two years longer than I would in the, in the greenhouse or that I've got a little more control. Yeah, I may have some down years. It's just like the cattle industry. People have great years in the cattle industry and then they have really bad years in the cattle industry. But overall, you do know that your internal rate of return is going to be, you know, on the on the basis of the 30 years, pretty consistent. Mm, okay, nice. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Evie, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show, are you ready? I am ready. All right, great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Actually, my best investments are going to be Panama. What we have done in Panama since 2012 have been far and above anything that I have ever experienced domestically or internationally. And I think that's because of the fact that I've been doing this for a long time. 
and the market has so much to offer, so much variety. We were able to diversify the investments that we've done in Panama from pre-construction to existing property, oceanfront, vacation rentals, long-term rentals, agricultural. It's just been a diversified mix. And because of all of that experience and that background, that definitely has been overall the best investments by far of anything I've ever done. Nice. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment? Well, I've already told you that. It was the Costa Rica project (laughs) by far. What a heartache. I, I literally spent months crying and sick and worried about the investors that was in this projects over there because it was tourism only. And so I am an avid, avid component of not investing in a tourism only type of a property because everybody that I ever known that has done it at some point in time has ended up getting hurt and maybe not even being able to withstand the storm because you're going to have a storm. If you have only tourism income, there's going to be a time that you're going to have a storm. And if you cannot sustain that storm, then you're going to lose your whole investment. So that would definitely be the answer there. Wow. Well, guaranteed recessions are going to happen. People cut back on vacations, whether it's a great recession or a COVID pandemic or whatever is in the future for us when the next recession shows up. It's going to happen. People are going to quit taking vacation for some amount of time. And that's so true. Rough. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? The most important lesson that I have learned in real estate investing is that you have to have multiple exit strategies. And yeah, I've already brought that up, but that truly is you really cannot rely on one thing. And if you go back to 2006, 2007, maybe 2005, when people were just blindly purchasing real estate, they didn't know what they were doing. They were just throwing mud against the wall, hoping it would stick because we saw appreciations of 25 and 30 and 40 percent in Las Vegas and Florida and California, all Arizona. And people thought that they could buy a $100,000 house this year and next year it's going to be worth $140,000. And so they were getting these arms, adjustable rate mortgages at 110 or 120 percent of the fair market value of the home. And then I just saw so much devastation from that. So that would definitely be my answer there. Ouch. Well, thank you for joining us today, bringing us all these great lessons. I think overseas agriculture investing, particularly in Panama, is really interesting opportunity that more people should consider. It's one of those things that you're not going to hear about if you're watching the nightly news. You need to join us on a podcast like this and listen to discussions like these. If uh, folks want to get in touch with you, if they want to reach out, if they want to learn more, all of that great stuff, where can they find you? All you need to do is go to eviebrookspanama.com, and that's spelled E-V-I-E, Brooks, B-R-O-O-K-S, Panama.com. There's a little short video there. You watch that, and we will be glad to set up a a 30-minute presentation with you or a conference call with you to discuss what it is you're looking for. No one's the same. Every single person is going to have different goals, different desires, and we'll sit down and talk to you to see if this is first even right for you. And second of all, if it is, if you're looking for investments, what type of investments would fit into your portfolio and what are you wanting to accomplish short-term, mid-term, long-term legacy? And then start from there and just kind of back into what would be best for you and what you're wanting to accomplish. Awesome. That's great. 
great thing to offer and uh, folks should check that out if they're interested. Thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying this show, please leave us a rating review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated and it helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week and we will talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.